Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Download the CSV. I had to know, man. I actually feel better that I feel better that I would have come in third and not first. Probably. I got wrecked. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show. We're not going anywhere yet, fellas. We still got plenty of football to talk about, and I'm excited for it. Saturday, Sunday, divisional round weekend, two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday, Millie Maker on DraftKings for the combined slate. Boy, there's a lot to get into today, so let's just do it. I'm Dave Lochran on Twitter at Lafay underscore D L O U G H Y underscore D. Help me get those followers back up, man. That's Twitter purge knocked me down like a hundred. And then I bounced back up maybe 60 or 70 yesterday. Matt Gajeski, follow him at Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter. It's a, it's a wild world out there right now, man. I probably didn't have the hit as you, I, you probably have like 20 K more followers than me. So I'm not even sure what happened, but right. I, I don't know. You have a ton of followers, man. I am, I'm just a little peasant out here. <laughs> that is not true. I've also been in the DFS game on Twitter since like, you know, a long time now. Also joining us, Kyle Dvorak at Kyle tweets here on Twitter. Give these boys a follow as well. They throw some good stuff out there in the Twitterverse. Uh, and you know what? We got a lot to talk about, Kyle. Only four games. But when I just pulled up the games yesterday, I'll just take a cursory look and see what I'm dealing with. It felt like every lineup I made, and I was just hand building to see what, what constructions looked like. Every lineup I made, there were 10 to 12 players that I'm like, well, I can't get to him. I can't get to him. Uh, any lineup I make is going to have a ton of really good players that can't be fit. Yeah, I like that as opposed to every once in a while we had, not every once in a while, I felt like almost all of the in-season two-game, three-game slates you could basically play whoever you wanted. And I don't think that's as good of a DSF, DFS game. Like part of what we're playing with is like, we like the constraints that are added. We like the constraint of, of salary. We like the constraint of constraint of correlation. We like the, the rules and the levels of that builds. So getting a slate where there are actually a ton of constraints is probably because the quarterbacks are so sick that like, sure, you can save mon- money by playing Jared Goff, but like, good luck. So, and the receivers, like, I want Devonta Adams in all of my lineups, but I also want Stephon Diggs in all of my lineups, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think it makes for just an overall better DFS ecosystem when salaries are actually a factor, which on a lot of the two and three game slates really weren't. So I think this sets up to be just uh, like, like last week was, but just another good two or three game slate. No question. And you know what, Matt, I, I'd even go as far as to say, 
if you're someone that generally does single entry or three max, maybe you do like three entries into the $20, uh, the $20 three max, you might be better off maxing the mini max or something like this uh, on this type of week, just because again, the, the ecosystem definitely better as Kyle pointed out, there's undoubtedly, um, you know, there, there's, there's an appreciation for when, when pricing is sharper, but it's just, it's, it's going to be a very difficult week to, to build lineups that you don't feel like you're getting FOMO from one or two or 10 players not being in there. Yeah, I agree with you. And I actually kind of like this because I think there's different avenues you can take to be contrarian on a week like this, where we only have four games. So it brings in a lot of interesting game theory. You know, do you wait and stat the better games are on Sunday, just from a game total perspective. So do you wait and just see what happens on Saturday and then try to play around with what happens on Sunday and I just like it from the standpoint that not everyone is going to have the same lineup. So you won't be dealing with as many dupes, which is always nice for DFS. Yeah, it is. And, you know, last week, Kyle, as, as we wrap this up and, and move it on to ownership and st- our stacks, tops, uh, chalk, pivots, all of that we're going to get into today on the show. We're happy to have you guys with us, by the way. Hit that thumbs up. And if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, we're north of 48,000, thanks to you, trying to hit 50K by the Super Bowl. I think we get there. Uh, we failed getting there by the start of the new year, but we're making a big push. If you like the content, you appreciate what we do, and you want to keep seeing free stuff here at the Awesome O YouTube channel, the simplest way you can support us and the most appreciated by us is to hit that subscribe button. Um, but last week on the, uh, the Saturday slate, you saw the winning lineup with – Stefan Diggs, because he's just winning. He's in every single winning lineup at this point. Um, he really is. I don't know how how Stefan Diggs isn't someone that you're looking to get to this week, and you already pointed that out. Uh, Josh Allen, Cam Akers was amazing. Leonard Fournette, who I know Ronald Jones' absence potentially kept you from winning a GPP. DK Metcalf, Michael Pittman, um, Logan Thomas, Chris Godwin, and the Rams defense. Of course, these were split slates, but that was the Millie Maker winner lineup. And I think that's a roster construction that, for the most part, these were all guys we talked about last Wednesday that said, you know, outside of Fournette, said, hey, they could be good plays from Akers to Pittman at such a cheap price point, run back with a Bills uh, skinny stack. Like, nothing crazy happened last week outside of Ronald Jones. Uh, and I don't know. It, in the postseason, it feels like you're going to get less of those insane low-owned super cheap plays getting 10 targets a game. Yeah, I think maybe the best thing you can try and find is like these efficiency outliers, like the fourth receiver for the fourth receiver for Josh Allen probably has not the same ceiling, but a similar attainable ceiling as the second target getter for Jared Goff. And I think that's a, that's something maybe we can chase. We saw, I believe Gabriel Davis went for like four for 80. Had he scored a touchdown, you have to imagine he would have been in the optimal lineup. In fact, we actually saw it with tight ends was the weird thing. We saw Cameron Brayton, and Jack Doyle, these sort of ancillary pieces of good. I mean, Philip Rivers wasn't the, the premier offense target, but it was probably one of the best games target. It was just these ancillary pieces of good games that for whatever reason, the offenses did well, which that wasn't the surprise. It was the distribution that ended up being surprising the fact that Jack Doyle and Cameron Brait, not necessarily a backup tight end in Jack Doyle, but part of a three-way committee and a legit backup tight end in Cameron Brait ended up like winning people a ton of money. So although I pointed out a receiver, it could just as easily be the backup tight ends. Last week, Gerald Everett was in contention to be that guy and dusted anyone who plays him. I, I think it's still fine to go back to some of those kinds of guys to both get different and still capture a, a certain amount of upside. 
Yeah, no, you're right. And and Matt, you had Cooper Cup go down last week. Uh, last I looked, he's not participating in practice. I think it was one of those like um, projected practice reports, or what do they call them? Like speculative practice reports. I don't know. Estimated is the wording they use. Estimated. Yes. Thank you. Um, but yeah, and then you had uh, who was it? Harris last week as well, right? For the Saints, caught all seven of his targets for 80, 83 yards. Uh, and, and a few other players that you know were, were in very appealing spots, John Brown being one of them, really let a lot of people down. John Brown, man, I played him <laughs> almost everywhere is trying to be, you know, contrarian pivot off of Stefan Diggs. You can clearly see how my day went, but <laughs> I, I mean, it, it wasn't great for John Brown, but I still think there's some positives to take away from that situation. John Brown in particular still ran a route on 95% of dropbacks. Obviously he was terrible, but if you want, again, I think you can take the same contrarian approach with John Brown Four targets, no catches, but 95% of dropbacks. If you expect any sort of positive regression, his price is fine. And you're attaching yourself to Josh Allen's Buffalo Bills offense, which has just been dynamic of late. All right, boys, let's do it then. We'll talk about our uh, chalk for the week. We have the updated ownership projections at awesome.com. We have the top stack tool uh, already updated and we're going to go, we're going to treat Saturday and Sunday as if it's one slate because on DraftKings it is, I know FanDuel's doing something similar uh, with a bunch of their contests, Saturday and Sunday, four games, mind you, they're going to have Saturday, big Saturday only slates. They're going to have big Sunday only slates. So you can use this information for that as well. Uh, and then of course, tomorrow when we do matchups with Matt Savoka and myself, we'll go game by game. And then we'll put a, you know, a timestamp in between that. So, you know, if you're jumping in late, where exactly we're headed. So let's do it, boys. We'll start it off at the uh, running back position. Of course, quarterback, we'll talk about once we close the show out with top stacks, because that's how we're trying to uh, glean some insight into what ownership is going to look like for stacks. But uh, at running back, Matt, Alvin Kamara is $7,900. Cam Akers, $5,700. Uh, on DraftKings, they're both garnering right around 32% ownership. Uh, you also have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at around 31.5% ownership and Devin Singletary up above 30 as well. And one of the reasons, very simply for that, I think we'd all agree, for Akers, Hilaire, and Singletary being so popular, well, Akers is just really good. But with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and with, with Singletary is – from what we said earlier, it's really hard to get all the players you want. Uh, and this is one way to get cheap and hopefully get the volume out of them as well. And like you mentioned at the top of the show, you're going to have to take some sort of a salary break somewhere. And Cam Akers is a phenomenal way to do this. There is one big question mark with Cam Akers, and it's the fact that they're heavy underdogs in this game. Right. So you've seen Cam Akers just handle monstrous, monstrous workloads the last two weeks, 21 and 28 carries. And he's north of 25 raw touches in both of those contests. But only two of those came as targets last week. So how does Cam Akers' role change if Green Bay is able to get up early in this game, which I project they, them to do so. Same thing with Vegas and all bookmakers. I think there is one positive with Cam Akers you can look to, and that's Jared Goff and Wolford as well if you think Wolford starts. But both quarterbacks are injured. So even if Green Bay gets up to a sizable lead, I'm not sure – that LA is going to be able to abandon the run this week. Yeah, I have some concerns about that too, Kyle. And uh, full disclosure, I, I like Green Bay to cover this game. It's going to be freezing cold out there in Matt's state, uh, Matt's home state. 
and you know you're going up to the frozen tundra west coast team in the rams i'm not trying to put too much weight into that but you might be without cooper cup this game could get ugly and, and aaron Rodgers and company have just looked purely dominant particularly at home i don't know i i do think 5700 on acres with the volume he's seeing is appealing do you think he's involved enough as a pass catcher in the event that they fall behind that would be the big question I think two weeks ago, we saw four targets. Last week, he only saw two targets, but he made the most of them. I think it's not that uh, he's like a bad floor play, that he gets completely game scripted out if they do end up losing by a touchdown, which is the projection. It's that you don't project his team to score more than two touchdowns this week. That doesn't give him a great chance of finding the end zone. And you're probably going to need to have both of the running backs. I'm assuming two running backs end up scoring touchdowns. You're probably going to need to find at minimum two out of two running backs scoring touchdowns on your roster. He's going to be the second highest owned. And he is not only the lowest implied team total or his team is the lowest implied team total of the week. They're the lowest implied team total by like four points. It's four points between them and the Browns, then another half a point between them and Baltimore. Then you get up to 24 and a half for the Bucks as the, the next underdog. Like, it's not that I think he's bad. It's not that I think his volume is bad. I think it's that if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's just fine. He's not winning you any tournaments. And the field seems to think that he's incredibly likely to score a touchdown despite his team not being very likely to put many points on the board. So I think in terms of the concern that Matt laid out is the exact one I have. And then you couple that with his ownership. Like I would take in a much closer game, even at a much more egregious price, J.K. Dobbins, who's not going to get the same role, I think J.K. Dobbins is more likely to find the end zone, and that's going to be what ends up making the biggest difference. Or Devin Singletary. I don't know what Devin Singletary's role looks like, but at 4,500 with no Zach Moss and less ownership, only slightly, but less ownership as a favorite, yeah, I think he's equally as likely to find the end zone as Cam Akers as cheaper and less owned. So Akers is probably the the starting point of my fades, and I think the guys who surround him at, you know, Clyde or Tulare 5,500, even Alvin Kamara expensive, make probably more sense in terms of the context of them having a, a probably a higher ceiling. Okay. I'll say this much to play devil's advocate for a moment here. The, the ownership is up there, but it's, it's not as absurd as you would think, because there are a lot of running backs that are getting pretty high ownership that aren't exactly in the best positions or haven't necessarily proven themselves. Um, but the only thing I'd say is, Green Bay's one weakness or main weakness, and it's not even a massive weakness. They're seven, they're 18th in DVOA, uh, run defense DVOA, but it has been on the ground and, and teams have been capable of putting up big games. It's not out of the, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that, you know, the Rams get the ball first and, and they manage to, while it's still a competitive game or it's still tied and acres manages to rip one off because if we've seen anything from him in his rookie season, the dude can break off some big runs. Uh, so you know, obviously the game is projected to go the opposite direction and, you know, they'll get script, he'll get scripted out of it, but that's not always how games happen. And when there's only four games on a slate, I'm willing to look at it from, from alternate uh, avenues. And, and that's one of them, just given how high his workload has been uh, and how basically there's no one else in this backfield that's going to contest him for work. 28 carries and two t- uh, receptions last week, the man had 30 total touches that's something in 5700 that even in a negative game with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Game script. It almost screams like James Robinson type role, and I think he would be the primary pass catcher. So there's that. Uh, Matt, what about the rest of these high price or sorry, uh, high owned running backs right now? How are you targeting them? I agree with you in the fact that I don't think on a four game slate, any of these guys are egregiously owned. We're not seeing any 40, 50% owned backs. Kamara, he's the most owned just north of 30%. And in that same range, you get acres, you get Edwards Slayer, and you get Singletary, all of whom are fairly cheap. And someone who I think might actually go a little bit under owned compared to what we can project for him is Clyde Edwards Slayer, assuming full health for him. We have to go all the way back to week 14 to look at the last time he played a fully healthy game when he wasn't splitting with, you know, Le'Veon Bell. And in that contest, he outsnapped Le'Veon Bell significantly. It was 46 to Edwards Hilaire, 11 to Le'Veon Bell. And the way we saw Le'Veon Bell use down the stretch, I don't think there's any indication that he's going to siphon off a lot of work for Clyde Edwards Hilaire, assuming he's fully healthy. So with a full workload in a Chiefs offense led by Patrick Mahomes and someone we've seen run extremely bad on touchdowns this year, I think Clyde Edwards Slayer does make some sense just trying to target these strong offenses, high implied team totals. So Kyle, the chalk really at running back is Kamara, Akers, Edwards Alaire, and Singletary. I don't want to overlook the fact that like Fournette's still projected for 20%. Uh, Chubb is still getting around 18% against Kansas City. Uh, when it comes to Alvin Kamara, is he against Tampa Bay, who has done a good job of stifling opposing run defenses, uh, and Alvin Kamara coming off a start that I think a lot of people probably would have wanted a little bit more from him, finishing with only 19.6. Is Alvin Kamara your top running back this week? I mean, just in terms of projection, yes. There's just no doubt about it. He is not only the top running back, but there's no one who even comes within the same ballpark as him. It's not close. It's about the price and the ownership. And I'm fine with his ownership. I'm fine with his price. Uh, like his team has a good implied team total. We know his role is sick. And we saw last week, which even though I think he only saw two targets, he like was at 99 yards on like 18 or 19 carries, I think. Like that's actually pretty good for him. I think in terms of we expect him to maybe split a lot of work with, with Latavius Murray. I think as long as you're getting up to that like 15 carry range, in a more competitive game, he would have seen five, six, seven, eight targets. So I'm, I'm fine with him. Nothing he showed me last week, even if it was disappointing, was like bad. I think he just ran a little cold. I do believe he hit 99 yards, which like if you're sweating like Alvin Kamara points, you are just dying for that final rush. He never gets there. So I think he's fine. I think if he gets into my lineups when I'm building in Fantasy Cruncher, I let him in. I'm probably not boosting him. I'm not knocking him down. Unlike Cam Akers, who it's kind of the, the one running back I feel more comfortable making a stand on. Like, all the math adds up on Alvin Kamara. He's quite good. He's the only elite, like he's, yeah, he's the only elite running back on this game on this slate in terms of like their fantasy points. Obviously, like I would say Nick Chubb, like you can call him elite, but like as a massive underdog versus the Chiefs, his fantasy projection does not look quote elite. So I'm fine with Alvin Kamara. I think there are maybe better ways to spend money at receivers. So maybe I don't end up getting as much of him as other people but he's really good. So yeah, play Alvin Kamara if you want would be my, uh, my bold stance on him. Go ahead and play him. He's good. Matt, I'll say this much. This is one of those interesting slates where, while I agree with Kyle that Alvin Kamara is the only truly elite fantasy back on this slate, there are some other running backs with just monster ceilings 
that are getting virtually no ownership. Aaron Jones at 12%. I've seen him mentioned in, in the YouTube chat. Who knows what this, this split between him and Jamal Williams is going to look like, but he's 6,800. And we know that Aaron Jones has the capability of going for, you know, 130 and three. He's done it on many occasions just over the past few years. Nick Chubb coming in around 18% is a big dog. Um, I, again, I, I get it. I get why they're not getting a, a ton of ownership. J.K. Dobbins is down at 9%. Not really sure why he's more expensive than Akers, but he is. Point being, and I'll turn it over to you, is very simply, there are some very, very good running backs that may not be in the best project, projected game script, may not be on the best uh, or in the best matchup, but still very good running backs that are getting very little ownership. How do you approach them as we talk pivots at running back? Yeah, Aaron Jones is a great GPP player. I remember earlier this year, there was a situation where you're just talking about pure leverage, a positive game script, you know, direct pivot off of Devontae Adams. And not only that, but now he's a direct pivot off five or six backs that are more owned than him. And it's not like Aaron Jones doesn't receive a solid workload. He averaged 18.7 touches over the course of the regular season. And of course, that's not in the same vein as someone like Akers, who's receiving north of 25 touches in back-to-back games, but you're also accessing a higher implied team total. If it's Aaron Jones and not Devontae Adams, who ends up with multiple touchdowns, you're talking about a discounted running back in direct leverage off multiple spots on this particular slate. So I like Aaron Jones quite a bit from a contrarian standpoint. What about you, Kyle? Oh yeah. That's uh, like, he's, I think he's easily the best tournament play because when you look at someone like J.K. Dobbins is going to be lower owned. But J.K. Dobbins is like a legit committee back. He splits work almost evenly with Gus Edwards. I know Aaron Jones is, quote, a committee back, but he still sees the like the majority of the team's running back work. And out of the backfield targets, like Jamal Williams has almost gone extinct in terms of his role as a pass catcher out of the backfield. They threw the running back five times. I believe it would have been week 17 because they didn't play. They had the first round by. They threw the running back five times Green Bay did in that game. All five went to Aaron Jones. If you're going to tell me he gets – 60% of the team's backfield carries and 90 plus percent. Like he only gives up one target to Jamal Williams. His role is good enough, especially when you account for the fact that as Matt said, you get access to a really good team total. So I think Aaron Jones, if this 12% ownership holds, you just jam in like 12% Aaron Jones would be like reasonable ownership for him on like an 11 game main slate on a slate where there are like six viable running backs here, maybe seven or eight viable running backs, Aaron Jones at 12%. Like I'll, I'm going to have a lot of Aaron Jones. I can tell you that much. Do you think there's any merit to looking at a, you know, Lat Murray or, God, any of these, like Kareem Hunt who had two scores and then did nothing? There were a lot of people that had him in the captain spot in that showdown game, and you know they were feeling so happy. They were feeling so good. And then ended up not cashing. Yeah, I, I had I had a ton of them even in the flex. I was like, oh man, we're cooking. I had like Pittsburgh plus a lot of Kareem Hunt. And I was like, we are cooking. I just yeah. need Pittsburgh to put up some points. And it went okay, but like his score actually wasn't that great. And it was a really weird game. I think there's some merit. I think he I was like the seventh highest scorer when all was said and done. Yeah. I like at the end, I think I had some some sick min caches, despite like I, I thought I was cooking with gasoline at the beginning of that game. So yeah, uh, I think there's some some reason to get to these guys they're going to be very low owned and as we saw with like Leonard Fournette as we saw with Cameron Bray Jack Doyle like just getting the one low owned guy right I think is like especially if they're low price is really a great way to find a a tournament winning lineup I would say for me if you're like I'm building a fantasy cruncher I'm just going to turn randomness up very high 
and I will naturally get probably over the field on some of these weird guys. Like, I think probably Kareem Hunt and Gus Edwards end up making the most sense because they're like legit committee backs. Like Le'Veon Bell could come out and be a backup. Latavius Murray is like a straight up backup. He's not operating in much of a committee. The best thing you can say is that like, if he gets in the red zone at the right time, there's a decent chance he scores, which I believe he did last week. And I was like the week before that, but I do think I'm still trying to buy volume. Like at 4,200 Gus Edwards role as basically 50% of the Baltimore backfield. That's not terrible. That's not great, but it's not terrible. Kareem Hunt, if his team is going to end up losing by 10 as Vegas projects could see five or six targets. So I think those would be my preferred guys in this range. I'm not going to have a ton of them, but like, I don't know, 6% own Gus Edwards. If he scores a, a touchdown and goes for 80 yards, that's not terrible. I think that that definitely puts you in contention to win a tournament, especially if some of the more expensive chalkier guys put up similar scores. So I'll have some of them. I probably am getting over the field just because I play, I literally turn randomness and unique players very high. So I probably end up getting over the field on them. Not because I like love them. I, you know, Gus Edwards is the one B in a underdog team. That's not great. Kareem Hunt is like a 30% running back carries and uh, not a ton of targets guy, but I don't know. I think they're fine enough that it's okay to play them. I wouldn't make it a, a massive point to get to them though. Matt, anyone else at running back for you? I think we should touch on what we think the Buffalo split is going to look like with Devin Singletary. I have no like, idea to be honest with you. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, we saw this in the beginning of the year. We have to go way, way back. But Zach Moss missed three games to start the year. Well, he played week one and two, and then he got hurt. In the games where he missed, we saw Devin Singletary handle 18, 24, and 12 touches. That's a pretty sizable workload for a team playing as a home favorite with a pretty good implied team total and a pass catcher at that. So you're going to see good target volume out of Devin Singletary as well. So I, he's a guy you like, right, Lafie? Yeah, I'm a big set Devin Singletary guy. The reason I said I have no idea is just because – it feels like McDermott, even when he gets the opportunities to use him in a in a workhorse capacity like this with with Moss on the IR, uh, for some reason just decides to go other uh, elsewhere or just not run the ball at all. So I'm very I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I think based on what we saw earlier in the year, we could look to a modest kind of I, I think it would fall in Aaron Jones level kind of workload because Buffalo is just passing so much right now. Even when they're playing with leads, it's kind of the Pittsburgh Steelers approach where they're still attacking teams through the air. And I mean, why wouldn't you do that if you have Stefan Diggs and the slew of weapons that Josh Allen has? But at the same time, it's similar to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, where if you're accessing a huge team total with a lot of scoring opportunities, the ball bounces one way and Diggs is down at the one and Singletary punches in a touchdown or two, you could be looking at a GPP winning score. Look, I think you're right. He's also going to be pretty popular at that price point. People aren't going to want to get away from that, uh, even against Baltimore. Do we know? So, do we know what his snap count looked like last? I year? was actually just looking at it. He played all the snaps that Zach Moss didn't play. They didn't give okay. another running back a snap, and Zach Moss played about a third of the game. I think it was so. Yeldon, I don't even know if he was active. I don't think Yeldon was active. I okay. see Taiwan Jones getting special team snaps, so I would assume they brought Taiwan Jones and maybe the backup running back that is like. I want to say his name is Andre Williams. It's not as far as I remember. He's the guy who got in on the second half uh, in week 17. If he was even active, he did not record a snap on offense or special teams. Okay. Well, good. That they makes just signed me. Devontae Freeman. That is a uh, true. Is he able to play this week? Not sure. Yeah. I'd have to check the timing of when they signed him to the practice squad. Cause every player has to like a, a longer mandatory wait time, obviously. Yeah. COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I can't imagine that he's going to get, look, it should be Singletary. I think we can agree. And, and if you're saying he got all of the running back snaps after Zach, when did Zach Moss go down? He got 34% of the snaps. So I guess second quarter sometime. Second quarter, yeah, you know, late second quarter. All right, let's talk about wide receivers here while we're at it. By the way, guys, hockey returns tonight. Gretzky is the promo code. Gets you a $3 weekly NHL pass. It's a pretty fun sport. I never got into it a ton just because basketball was always happening at the same time and and football was overlapping with it all the time. But, you know, Adam Scher won a ton of money last year during, I don't know, was it NBA All-Star break or something with our tools, using the ownership, using the top stack tool, using the projections. And now he's like top five NHL ranked, I think, because of of one ridiculous week. But in, in all seriousness, check it out. Use the promo code Gretzky. Otherwise, you can go to awesomeo.com slash join and check out everything we have to offer, whether it's an express weekly pass for $3.95 a week that gets you all of our showdown content, but also a lot of main slate content, the express top stack tool, express lineup builder, and a lot of other amazing stuff. Or you could do the full out weekly, the full monthly, the annual. You could do one sport. You can do all of the sports, but I'll assure you of this. The number one ranked DFS player built these tools, uses these tools to win a ton of money. And these are the tools that you would be getting when you sign up and join the community at Osimo. So whether it's for all sports, whether it's for one sport, or whether it's a week, month, or a year, come check it out. We got something for everyone, whether you're a hobbyist, whether you're a pro player, you name it. Osimo.com slash join. And if you have any questions, my DMs are open on draft uh, on DraftKings, on, on Twitter. Hit me up and I'll be happy to help you out. All right. Um, Matt, let's go to wide receivers here. Running back's a strange one. It doesn't get any more, uh, any less strange at wide receiver because you have Devontae Adams, you have Tyreek Hill, you have Stephon Diggs, you have Michael Thomas, and then you have Alan Lazard at 21% projected ownership because he's cheap. Now, I don't even know if he's going to be active. That's something we can have a conversation about. But let's start with the highest owned guys now in Adams, Hill, and Diggs all of whom have legitimate slate-breaking opportunity or uh, upside and have done it on multiple individual occasions this season already. You're absolutely right. I, it, this is what makes the week so much fun because you have to actually choose between these players. So tough. And even someone like Chris Godwin, who is, I would say, a step below, but that's reflected in price, has a lot of intrigue to me as well. So as far as stacking these wide receivers, I'm certainly trying to stack first and foremost, and then I'm trying to find holes in pricing. And someone who stands out as just being mispriced to me, even though he's expensive, is Stefan Diggs. 7,300 for him. Do you guys know why he's not priced like Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill? Because it just is perplexing to me. No, I don't think there's a good... Because I don't have a good answer for it. No, I don't think there's a good reason. Both of us are saying we... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just don't think there's uh... a... <laughs> Yeah, man, that is that is strange. I just don't get it. I, I the only thing I could assume is like he's priced lower because of the matchup. But if that's the case, then Adam shouldn't be eighty six hundred. Like, yeah, I mean, and the pricing hard. algorithm doesn't it use like last week's ownership as well? Like players are highly owned, we know they should be priced higher. And I assume he was like mega chalk. Right. That has always been my assumption about the algorithm because a player could do really, really badly 
and then come up a thousand dollars in salary because he was the previous week's chalk. Yeah, exactly. But so, so we have no, our, our point is our algorithm uh, ideas are right. clearly not right. Right. I, Kyle, another thing though, for me is Devonte Adams, absolute stud could be a fun battle with Ramsey and company. Stefan Diggs been insane, led the league in receptions, led the league in yards, led the league in targets. No one really talks about that, uh, how good he was. Uh, and then there's Tyree Kill, who I just absolutely love him this week. Are, are we ignoring that, you know, old ass Ben Roethlisberger, despite playing from behind, I don't care if he was playing from behind or with the lead. It's not garbage time in the postseason, friends. I'm telling you that right now. There's no garbage time in the postseason. And if there is, it isn't three quarters worth. He threw for 500 yards, dude. His entire team had 50-plus fantasy points. Oh, uh, Deontay Johnson, here, take 38. Here, Juju, take 49. Uh, Chase Claypool, we'll get you in on this as well. Here's a 30-yard touchdown. And then Ebron as well. It was absurd. How am I not to look? My first thing I tried to do was stack Mahomes with Hill and Kelsey, and it's so difficult. But, man, the upside in that, maybe running it back with a Jarvis or something, is insane to think about. Yeah, I definitely think like honestly, even if even if the Browns went out and held that twenty eight nothing lead for the rest of the game, and Pittsburgh put up one hundred and thirty yards passing, I legit just would not care. Like I do no, no, not, no, believe, not at all. I do not believe there is a defense that can contend with Patrick Mahomes for four straight quarters. There are really good defenses, and they can fight with him for a quarter or two, and maybe he doesn't go for four hundred yards in that game. But for the entirety of a game, it just wouldn't matter. And the fact that we see that the the Browns can in fact be cooked by even like. Honestly, just mediocre passing play. Like Ben Roethlisberger is fine, but at this point in his career, he, he's not special. He's not Ben. He's not Ben Roethlisberger. He's just another passer. He's probably like Jared Goff. So if they can go out and get cooked by Jared Goff per se, I'm fine just jamming in the, these Chiefs. And we have them like, man, their team total is so GD high. It is 33.75. That might be the highest they were at like all season, and that's. That was in the context of talking about playing them on 11 game slates. Now there are not many other teams we can actually go to. I mean, there are seven other teams we can go to. It's really difficult to get off of Chiefs. I think I, I might actually, I'll probably end up setting a rule that there has to be one Chief in every one of my lineups. That could still mean I get like a lot of Clyde or Tulare. I could even get backup receivers. It's what we talked about with like, you know, your Gabriel Davis, Cameron Braids. I probably, actually, I probably do end up taking a ton of just getting equity in these smaller pieces of the team. If it's Demarcus Robinson, I don't know if Sammy Watkins is able to play. He entered the playoffs with an injury, but I'm going to be having a lot of these cheap guys. And I also think they actually probably make good pivots off Alan Lazard in regards to Tyreek Hill. Yeah, he's probably a very good pivot off Devontae Adams. His matchup won't be nearly as difficult as Adams. His team total is higher. His quarterback is just as good, I would say. I do like Tyreek Hill a lot. Honestly, the reason I, I was thinking about fading like some of the chalk at running back is because I want to get all the good receivers. And it's typically not what we're doing. We're typically saying, well, running backs are, are stable. We know we can project them with fairly, like fairly accurately. If a running back is going to get 20 carries and four targets, we know roughly what he's going to do. Tyreek Hill on 9-10 targets is much more volatile. This year is, in some instances, especially early in the year, buck that trend. I think it's because offenses has just been so incredibly like firepower that you can bank on Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey going off nearly every week. Devontae Adams with his market share plus his offense, you can bank on him going off every week. So I think my strategy this week is a lot of like playing a lot of good wide receivers. I hope we're not playing the same running backs. I honestly thought about setting a rule to have at least two Kansas city players in every lineup. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like the, there are a few spots that just don't intrigue me all that much, Matt. 
Uh, there are a few like, okay, the Rams, maybe I'll have some acres. Maybe I'll sprinkle in a, a pass catcher here or there. Um, Baltimore, we, we can talk about that, but I'm not enamored with anything from Baltimore outside of, you know, Lamar Jackson doing what he always does. Uh, like Kansas city just feels like it's going to be very difficult for them to fail. Maybe forcing two in is a little bit too much, but we saw last week there were th- the, the, this, the, the winning lineup in for the, the, was it the Sunday slate, the Sunday slate, I think, or the, I don't remember which slate it was Sunday. I think had Roethlisberger, Claypool, Juju, Ebron, and it had um, Deontay Johnson. I think, I, I think it did. I think it had all of them. Or maybe it was just three, but it was a lot of them. Uh, point being, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen with Kansas City this week either. Yeah, I wouldn't either. The only difference is price. You could get all those Steelers receivers at a fairly cheap price and still jam in a decent lineup around. Right. If you go Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, you're just going to be punting everywhere, which is going to be tougher, I think. But it still could happen. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. I mean, the status of our boy Sammy Watkins looms <laughs> large as Wednesday practice approaches. I'd love Miami. for him to be out. I would love it, Matt. For so his own personal it. health is why we would love it. Oh, I no, would love no, him no. To be out too. I, I want him to suffer. Of course, <laughs> of course, it has nothing to do with that. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, if he's out, then like you actually might get some real opportunity yep. from some of these lesser priced guys that, you know, are going to cost you like low 4K, high 3K ranges. Well, that's exactly it. And that even leads more, I think, credibility to full stacking the Chiefs. Sammy Watkins, he's not expensive, but he's not cheap either. And he's extremely volatile, but that's not why you play him. You play him because he's an access point to Patrick Mahomes. And if you were to double stack, let's say you do Mahomes, Kelsey, and then a Demarcus Robinson or a Mecole Hardman, I think you do have enough salary to take that approach. But if you're going Hill and Kelsey, I don't think it's quite as viable. So that's an approach I like doing with some of the ancillary pieces. All right, so Matt, let me stick with you for a minute here. Outside of these big plays and Adams and Hill and, and Stefan Diggs, you come down to like Michael Thomas, Lazard, Jarvis Landry coming off a strong game. He's around 17%. I think, you know, as a run back option, you're going to see a lot of that. And I get it. Cole Beasley, Hollywood Brown, Chris Godwin. These guys are all coming in around outside of Michael Thomas. He's kind of in a no man's land spot. He's the only one in that 20% range outside of Alan Lazard. These guys aren't exactly chalky. The ones I just listed outside of Thomas, but they will have a decent amount of ownership. Do you like them? And tell me, are there any really low owned projected projected low owned guys right now that, that you feel good about getting to and taking some shots on? My favorite in that range is Michael Thomas. I think just as he, gets re-acclimated to NFL play after essentially missing the entire season. He stands out for his price. He's still just 6,700, saw seven targets last week. I think there's a reasonable expectation that that increases. But I do think a strong strategy as far as large field tournaments this week is going to be trying to get leverage off some of the expensive stacks. So we have Stefan Diggs, we have Tyreek Hill, and Michael Thomas for that matter. So I'm still going to be looking at players like John Brown, like, I mean, Miko Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, assuming Sammy Watkins misses, even someone like Emmanuel Sanders has leverage off some of these players to try to afford some salary for some other studs. Because like you mentioned at the top, you're not going to be able to play all these studs. So if I end up with a chief stack, I'm comfortable taking a stand on someone like John Brown over Stefan Diggs, already knowing that I have that upside in Tyree kill in my lineup. Kyle, same question to you. What's the deal here with these guys? What's the, what's the deal here? Yeah. I like, I do think what's the deal here with these, 
these mid mid range, most of them mid middle tier price, nothing absurd, no high ownership outside of Michael Thomas and a bunch of guys that are going to leave you scratching your head, whether or not you want to get them in the lineup. So yes, sir. What is the deal here? Uh, the deal here is that uh, one in terms of, I think what Matt was saying, I really like, it's just that we're going to get basically the same, like four types of lineups being built. It's going to be like Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Tyree Kill, Patrick Mahomes, Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen. Not sure if we'll get Michael Thomas stacked with his quarterback, but because people are playing all three of those expensive stacks, I do think we're going to get people missing out on maybe some of the mid-range and going straight down to, obviously, Alan Lazard looks like the prime example. You could even lump in, like, Rashard Higgins there at 4,100. People are going to be pivoting down to him because, like, how else are you going to fit in these good players? So I would say if you're doing that, like, if you're playing Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes lineup, save somewhere else and move up from Alan Lazard to, even if it's just Cole Beasley, move up to that mid-range, even if it's just Jarvis Landry, because I'm guessing the reason Alan Lazard is so popular is not because he is a he is a god in his own right, it's because he's 3,900 and he's on the field with Aaron Rodgers, that's the best argument for anyone under 4K, I probably honestly X him out and try and get to the mid-range. Cole Beasley at 4,900 had like five 100-yard receiving games, came back from, I believe it was the knee injury, and immediately saw, I believe, seven targets. Like, he saw the volume. We know he was elite all season, and he's 4900 That is an egregious price. So I think pivoting from Alan Lazard up to Cole Beasley, for instance, up to potentially like an Antonio Brown, just based on his upside on a per-target basis, I don't know about these Rams receivers, not sure if I can go there, is probably how I'm going to be finding ways to get different because I like, I'm not really getting different by fading Devontae Adams. I just can't be, I can't be making money fading Devontae Adams if the entirety of the season has taught us anything. So getting into the mid range at all more than like your player selection in the mid range, I think will be my strategy mostly by like fading Alan Lazard. I like Michael Thomas, you know, he's good. I, I agree with Matt that if his volume continues to trend up, he'll be the cheapest number one receiver you can get. And as we get more news to roll in throughout the, the week, it'll be easier to make decisions. Like if Traquan Smith remains out or if he plays, you know, what will Deontay Harris ownership look like if Lazard is in or out? There's a few guys that uh, have pending statuses that could actually make an impact, albeit a small one, on how we go about getting some value into our lineups. All right, guys, let's do it. Tight ends and then our top stacks for the week. We don't usually spend a lot of time on tight ends, Matt, because oftentimes it's pretty self-explanatory, especially if you have our ownership tool uh, and some of the other tools at Osimo, you'll see that there are just much better plays than others. And this week, Travis Kelsey is that. Mark Andrews was like 50 plus percent last week. I don't know exactly what he came in at, but we had him up around there. Travis Kelsey is 43%. He's very expensive, but there is no reason we shouldn't at least be trying to get Kelsey into lineups. As Kyle pointed out earlier, it feels like pretty much every week these guys go off. I think you have to ask yourself a conversation just roster construction wise when approaching Kelsey. When you play Kelsey, it takes away one of probably an alpha receiver from your lineup, maybe one of the alpha running backs like Kamara, but you have some opportunity costs with him. So I think your question is, does Kelsey and a punt wide receiver score more than one of the punt tight ends and maybe a Tyree kill, an extra Tyree killer, an extra Stefan Diggs in your lineup? I tend to side with the Kelsey play on most instances. And this week, I don't see it being particularly different. There are a few punts I'm interested in, like Austin Hooper stands out with some decent target volume. And I mean, like Tanyan won't have the best volume, but he has high scoring upside. So there are tight ends. I think they could get you a decent enough score. 
But generally speaking, Travis Kelsey is going to function as a wide receiver one out there. At least his scores typically mirror wide receiver ones on the slate. And the punt wide receivers are fairly strong, as Kyle just laid out, with your Cole Beasleys, your Lazards, your Higgins. There's a number of players down there I think that could be viable enough where playing Kelsey over another alpha receiver makes sense. I actually don't have a problem with having uh, two tight ends in lineups on small slates like this. I did a lot of it last week, and it actually worked out. So uh, I'm not opposed to getting back there whatsoever. The truth to me, Kyle, is I, I, I have a tough time looking at Kelsey as a, as a tight end. I mean, he had 105 for 1,400-plus yards and 11 touchdowns this season in 15 games, right? He had, the, he, he had, he had more yards, like almost 200 more yards in, than Hill. He had 18 more receptions. He just had four fewer touchdowns. Well, actually, Hill had two rushing touchdowns mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and then with Adams, you know, more yards than Adams, just less touchdowns. But Kelsey could rip off a two-touchdown game easy. So I, I guess when I look at his numbers and I look at the stats and the amount of games he's played, um, he's pretty much in this, in line with all of these guys for every reason that you would play a wide receiver, you would play Kelsey at the same position. Yeah, I think it was uh, in week four. 14 or so he was actually pacing to lead the league in receiving yards and then they don't play week 17 so he probably was never going to get there anyways and I think Stefan Diggs ended up kind of killing it in the final three weeks but yeah like his receivers or his his numbers are receiver numbers and there's just no way to to not frame them as such and that's why he's so expensive the only difference between him and one of the you know Michael Thomas Devontae Adams etc is that he feels a, a downright dreadful position like after what we saw from like Rob Gronkowski who was excited with I, not that you can't be playing him. It's just, there's no, there's no floor. Your floor is like literally zero points. Like Dawson Knox, the, the team throws a lot. They don't throw to tight end. Like Jared cook is now his team's third or fourth receiver. You know, I could go on and on. He is the only high floor, arguably the only high ceiling, even tight end on this slate. So I do think I'll probably end up because of my rule of playing lots of chiefs. And because even at 7,800, he's scoring the same as, you know, Stefan Diggs. I feel like I probably am getting over the field on, on him here. And I checked at least in the, the play action, we had 30% owned Mark Andrews. So if the expensive tight end comes in lower owned, than we project rule stands that rule that I've developed after one week, maybe we only get 35% owned Travis Kelsey. And that would be nice. Sure would Matt, any other tight ends that you like here, whether it's right below Kelsey and ownership, well, not right below him. It falls off a cliff, but you have Andrews at 20%, Robert Tunyon at 16 Hooper at 13, Higby at a 12, and then just falls off another cliff. So uh, is there anyone else you like here? I think it's really tough to get to. I I'm probably am trying to correlate with my quarterback. Mark Andrews stands out as having solid volume and a decent implied team total. But if you, you even look at Austin Hooper, he's played a pretty significant role down the stretch for Cleveland. And I know they had some COVID situations. Harrison Bryant was on the COVID list for a little bit there. But even in the last three games for Austin Hooper, you're talking about 15, 5, and 11 targets. Even if he doesn't score, and I know their implied team total isn't quite as high here, that PPR bonus could get you there, and he doesn't have to outscore Kelsey. Say Kelsey just has a modest game, like 4, 16, a touchdown. If Austin Hooper has eight catches and 40 yards, I think that's enough combined with the other player you can get into your lineup to potentially outscore a Kelsey combo. People talking about defense. Remember, last week, Cleveland... Cleveland scored 12 DraftKings points and allowed 500 plus passing yards and 37 points. Play who fits. Seriously, play who fits. The people that were winning. What's that, Matt? Just play who fits. Play who fits. People that were winning tournaments last week had 
I'm not kidding. The guy that won the FanDuel Millie or whatever the huge contest was had a full-out Steelers onslaught. Like, I'm not talking about Roethlisberger and two pass. talking about an onslaught of Steelers and Cleveland's defense. So, uh, you know, that is what happens. All right. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's close it out, Kyle. Unless you have any other tight ends, I think we can hit on our stacks. No, I actually really like the Austin Hooper call. Like he's very much live to see just as many targets at Mark Andrews at 1200 less and 7% less ownership. Like as much as Mark Andrews, like market share numbers are nice. They just are so heavily discounted because of how much his team runs the football and their game isn't like a massive spread. Whereas like Austin Hooper's is, I know the Browns also want to run the football. They're not going to be up 28, nothing. They will not get as much of a chance to do so. I like, if you're going up, I'm going all the way up to Kelsey. And if you're, I'm just not hanging out in the mid price range, really. Austin Hooper, even like Jared Cook is like a potential leverage play. Rob Gronkowski on the bounce back. I'll take like all of those guys at their price and ownership apex versus Mark Andrews. All right. Top stacks. This is a, always a fun part of the show. See who's coming in at the top uh, and, and ultimately try and figure out what we're working with here is maybe there are even on a small slate some cheaper uh, or some lesser owned stacks. Of course, Kansas City, top stack probability, 36%. It's absurd, but it makes sense. 33-point implied total. It's through the roof, 10.5-point favorites. Mahomes' ownership is also up there as well, around 33%. You know that's going to be popular. And I do wonder, Matt, before we get into our favorite low-owned stacks, I do wonder how much do you think, especially once we get some news, maybe some important news, how much do you think Kansas City stacks, which are going to be very popular, funnel people into very, very similar roster construction, similar builds where they all end up having, say, Singletary, and a lot of them have acres as well. And then a lot of them punt with the same receiver because maybe Traquan Smith is out this week. You know, that that is that is something I've been been thinking about throughout the show that we could definitely see come to fruition on on the weekend. I agree with you 100%. And that doesn't mean don't play your Kansas City stacks, but you just have to be a little bit more mindful when you're building your lineups. You will be holding hands with more of the field just because their prices are so restrictive. So you're going to fall into some similar punt plays. So I like stacking Mahomes with some contrarian plays in his own offense. Watkins, of course, is a personal favorite if he plays. If he doesn't play, I think you have even more interest in guys like Demarcus Robinson and Nicole Hardman. And that is one way to gain some leverage there too. But if you fade the Kansas city stack altogether, I think you can be a little bit less contrarian. You can kind of fall in line with the chalk a little bit more just because you'll be fading so much of what the field has. So if you play a Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, maybe you don't have to get so contrarian with the rest of your lineup because you've already faded some of the chiefs. Kyle, what about you? That chiefs thinking just as far as your logic goes here, what, what is your perception of, of what's, chief stacks will do to, to lineups and are there ways to get different would really be the biggest question, but still get that big chiefs exposure. Yeah. So I think you probably like, you probably already built the chalk roster. Honestly, I do think it would be, you know, let, let's call it. Uh, could you, I'm not sure if you could double stack with Travis Kelsey, Tyree kill. Maybe you can. I tried it's, it. It's doable, but like, okay. like I said, you're going to have to go to the same players. I think even if you take one of them, it's honestly, it's probably you take those guys and then you take like, and if you can't double stack, you take those guys plus digs probably would be like the chalk build. Yeah. I think the perfect way to leverage that plus Devin Singletary plus Al Lazard, given our ownership on Lazard, it seems like he would be the preferred guy. I think the ideal way to make your chalky Patrick Mahomes, Tyree kill stack is to find like multiple leverage points off of those places. For me, that would be like 
going with Cole Beasley or John Brown or even Gabriel Davis over, over Devin Singletary because you know the people you're competing with, if your stat goes off, they're playing Devin Singletary. If Devin Singletary gets in the red zone, but then they throw a slant to Cole Beasley and he scores, that's perfect leverage. And as disgusting as it is, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, we've seen it. Like he needs literally two targets to end an entire drive with a touchdown. And that is the perfect leverage play off of Alan Lazard. And like him, this is the perfect slate for us, Matt, because it's like him, Sammy Watkins, Clyde Aarons, Hilaire, all of these guys that we just like cannot get right. I'm still going back to, and it's perfect because they make good leverage plays off of, uh, off of the chalk build essentially. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're going to, okay. So I think you're going to see a lot of stuff like this, right? Are you building it on your phone right now? On my computer. Okay. Mahomes, Singletary, Akers. Yep. Tyreek Hill, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Hollywood Brown, Travis Kelsey, Rashard Higgins, and Bill's defense. That maxes it out at 50K. You have Mahomes, you have Kelsey, and you have Hill. You have the Rashard Higgins run back at 4,100. Saw seven targets last week. Uh, And then you have Brown, who's already getting a little bit of ownership. You have Scantling. uh, And then, of course, you have Singletary and Akers, both of whom are like top four in running back ownership. I could be wrong, but I think you're going to see a lot of very similar builds to that this week. Uh, one way to leverage that would also be Josh Reynolds, who I believe saw six targets last week. And he's another guy who just like relative to his team has like an incredible A dot. These are, this is my perfect slate. I'm just picking these trash Zero bag targets receivers. last week. I thought, I think it might've been two weeks ago that he saw six targets. I thought, yeah, I think he was on the field. I think he played like 40% of snaps, but didn't see a target last week. Might've been two weeks ago then that he saw six targets, but like the types of guys that like, you're just, you're not, if you're winning, if you're somehow winning a tournament, you're chopping it a hundred ways. If you're playing Acres Singletary, cheap wide receiver, Bills defense. Like there is just no way to get unique by doing that. You've removed all your uniqueness on top of your leverage. Like typically on these kinds of slates, you're not as much talking about dupes. When you're building that lineup, you are literally just talking about building duplicated lineups. So I think as you've like, you kind of laid out a really chalky construction, finding ways to leverage that any way it can be. Josh Reynolds, Gerald Everett, you know, these terrible, these terrible sounding players. We know some of them are going to hit. If the leverage ones hit, you're probably at a great, like not great chance, great chance relative to what you started the day with to win a tournament. Yep. And by the way, guys, everyone watching and everyone in chat, everyone watching this afterwards, just so you're clear, what we're doing here was just an exercise in building a lineup that is going to be chalky. Like, (laughs) I don't think any of us are suggesting that that's not going to be a chalky lineup whatsoever. But yeah, if you build that one out, that's what you get. Uh, and look, I don't hate, I'll be honest. I don't hate the look of it. Maybe there's a couple ways to get different there, but it has the run back for the Browns. It has the double chief stack with two of the best players in the league and the best quarterback. So, uh, I, I think it makes sense, but it's probably more a cash lineup than a GPP unless you make some tweaks. Matt, what do you think about some lower owned stacks here? Buffalo has the second highest top stack probability quarterback ownership. There's only 16%. Uh, and then it really falls off a cliff. You're basically just getting, a, a mix of every other team in between, you know, five and 10% top stack probability. And as of now, it looks like green Bay could be overowned, amazingly. And the saint stacks could be overowned. Yeah. It's really interesting to see green Bay in this spot. I think the total is just a little lower than what we've seen the map recently. And the matchups obviously tough against LA, but I'm still willing to bet on Aaron Rodgers. I think a really good leverage spot here is Buffalo against Baltimore, where you do see quite a bit of leverage. Josh Allen not coming in as owned, at least as the the chief stack, but he still has a near chance. I guess I should say a, a slightly less chance of being the top stack, but still a very high chance of being the top stack on the week. So Josh Allen stacks really stand out to me. This doesn't really 
in my opinion, look like a week where you need to get super off the board. I don't think you need to play a lot of Jared Goff stacks or anything like that to be contrained in tournaments. I think you can honestly just leverage some of the highly owned plays. All right, Kyle, you close us out. Your favorite lower owned stacks. I know there aren't a lot of them, uh, but is there any one that stands out? Last week, dude, last week, I think all of us said, hey, this Steelers-Browns game could be the one. This could go nuclear. And it did. A lot of times we aren't right about this. A lot of times we are. It absolutely did. And there were a lot of people that were attacking some of those other games a lot heavier than that one and got burned by it. Is there a game like that where you look at it, scratch your head a little bit and say, you know what, that could be the Steelers uh, Browns of last week in some capacity, not 28, nothing. And then, you know, yeah, I think I think Matt laid it out. It's just that uh, it's still going to be popular, but the the Buffalo Baltimore game features yeah. probably two of the five best fantasy quarterbacks in the league. And especially on the the Baltimore side, we have a slight advantage of them, their top stack percentage versus their uh, their ownership percentage. And it's very possible that we see if Buffalo goes out and plays well, but Lamar Jackson still puts up points. He's a guy who has two bonuses in his range of outcomes, which is something no other player remaining in the playoffs has. So I think he'd be interesting. I'd probably be over the field on him. I do agree with Matt, though, that my favorite stack overall relative to the field is Buffalo, because not only do we have them as a really good top stack probability, we were just floored at how cheap Stephon Diggs is. I am personally floored at how cheap Cole Beasley is, given his record of 100-yard games and seven targets last week. It seems like you get in the same ballpark of that Chiefs level of upside with such cheaper players. I got to say, I don't feel great about it. But when it comes to the Browns, if you had a Baker Mayfield Landry Higgins stack or Baker Mayfield Landry Hooper stack, then guess what becomes a lot easier? Running that back with Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. And on a team that whose running back situation has been fluid all year, but it's also been a little bit unpredictable and hasn't really been their main focus, and they don't really run the ball all that much, it's very possible that the Browns could find themselves in an early two or three score hole and be forced to throw the football a lot. I know it sounds ugly and no one wants to do it, but if you had, you know, a similar situation as Roethlisberger was in last week, we saw he doesn't have to be particularly good at football. He just needs to really be able to move the ball downfield when they're playing from behind and abandon the run entirely. So if I were to throw Baker Mayfield in there over Patrick Mahomes, that's opening up almost $3,000 in salary. Then that turns maybe a Valdez Scantling into a much better receiver, and then you're in business. It's ugly, but I think it could work. Anyway, Matt, final thoughts on this one. Of course, we'll have the matchup show tomorrow. We'll have a strategy show on Friday. We'll have the Saturday and Sunday live before locks. We got everything coming up. But uh, final thoughts as we close this one out uh, on this divisional round weekend. Anything that stands out, any main points you'd like to make? Maybe my favorite slate of the year. All my favorite bad players are here. I love short slates as it is. Love diving into the weeds here. And now we get an expensive slate. So I think it makes for a more contrarian thinker. If you if you like to play GPPs, if you're already naturally building contrarian lineups, I think this week suits you just because you can't play all the expensive players and there's ways to leverage them. Kyle, uh, we're up against it. I want to keep it under an hour here. And you and I both like to talk, but any final thoughts on this slate? No, I'm in line with Matt. I like digging into these. Like, uh, you don't really talk a ton about 3,200 number three wide receivers. I think those are kind of the, and the backup tight end, the second running backs. I think, I mean, we saw it last week. Those will be the kinds of keys to winning, to winning this next slate, especially because of the pricing structure. So I, I think 
that's probably where we should be spending a decent amount of our time is finding leverage with the, the quote, ugly plays. Help us get to 50K subs, guys. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the channel and hit that thumbs up before you guys head out. And remember, check the awesome underscore com Twitter account, pin tweet for a giveaway today. Uh, everyone likes free stuff, right? Well, a full year of awesome plus NBA is being given away over there. While you're at it, file, follow Kyle at Kyle tweets here. Follow Matt at Matt underscore Gajeski and myself at Laffy underscore D. Our Twitter handles are right there underneath our heads on the screen. Thanks for hanging out with us as always, guys. We'll see you back here tomorrow and the rest of the week. Be sure to stay tuned for everything else we've got coming up today, whether it's PGA, whether it's NBA, we've got you covered on the Awesome O YouTube channel. Peace.